All right, Steve Dace from Iowa. And from the Steve Dace uh, program, which can be heard on uh, this network every day right after uh, my show on the Blaze Radio Network and TV Network. Steve, welcome. Gentlemen, Happy New Year. I'm just patiently waiting for those articles of impeachment to be filed. How are you? <laughs> oh, just uh, it's electric, isn't it? I mean, it's just electric. <laughs> They've, it's almost like they've forgotten about them. You know, the Democrats are now just on right on to something else. Oh, my gosh, Iran. That's why he should be out of here. Indeed, 2018 ended with Trump's a Nazi, so give him all your guns. And 2019 ended with Trump is an existential clear and present danger to our democracy. So let's sit on these articles of impeachment for three damn weeks. Makes this is perfect crazy. Sense. <laughs> just crazy. Um, OK, Steve, let's talk about Iowa and what's happening with the Democratic Party. I want to play a clip from Joe Biden and listen to this. He sounds like my grandpa did right before he passed away, where he's not really fully engaged here. Listen to this. Iran announced today that it's accelerating this nuclear program. Guess who loses with that? that? America and its allies. allies. There was an airtight agreement we had with inspectors on the ground, the most intrusive inspection in all of human history, not hyperbole. We knew exactly we were in every single facility, the International Atomic Energy Agency, and they were not violated. They're not good guys, but they were not moving. Is it just me or does he sound a a little... uh... Mm. Uh, unexcited uh, unexcited let's put it that way <laughs> well i thought robert stack's voiced character in beavis and butthead to america actually did the most intrusive inspections in human history but that <laughs> aside um I, I you know what you're pointing out glenn is what i have been saying on on my show for the last couple of months and and i'm not trying to be hot takey so i, I got that hot take out of the way and i want to i want to be really serious this, this, he sounds like the average guy who's 80 years old. He and does. lived a long life and had done a lot in his life and, and, and been in a lot in, in a lot of high-stress situations. Yes. I, I don't think he can do the job, and I think that if, if he were leading a, a rival investment group to take over a Fortune 500 publicly traded company and you were in the other investment group, I think you could at least get a hearing in front of a judge about his competency level of whether he's legally competent I or agree. not. I agree. And I think that's and I think that's why he has not taken off in this race. And if you live here in Iowa, you see two Joe Bidens. Um, You see the one in the ads. He's running a great ad right now. Again, looking at it from a Democratic mindset, he's running a great ad right now. And he sounds presidential about how terrible Trump is. And if I only listened to that ad and I was a rural Iowan who remembered him for with Barack Obama for eight years, that's the guy I would vote for. But if I went out there on the campaign trail and actually saw him without the makeup and without the script and just interacted with him retail style, I would walk away shaking my head thinking, I, I don't know that this guy can be president. And I think that's why, you know, when he first burst onto the scene last March, he had, you know, poll numbers on a national level into the 40s. We've never seen anything like this, really, maybe since Fred Thompson was your flavor of the month 10 years ago. And then the more and more voters in Iowa and New Hampshire have gotten a chance to look at him. You've seen his numbers on the state level have flatlined compared to just the national name ID contest. And it's because when you look at him up close, you just don't think he's up to the job. But he but he still is number one. He still is. Is he going to take Iowa, do you think? I don't I don't believe he'll win Iowa. And I think, you know, national polling in prime in, in these primaries is irrelevant. And here's why. 
it doesn't matter what anybody in New York's opinion or California or Montana yes. uh, or New Mexico's opinion is. They're not voting right now. And, mm-hmm. and by the time the process gets to them, a lot of these candidates are going to be gone and a lot of candidates are gone already. So, so it really only matters right now what Iowa, New Hampshire and then Nevada and South Carolina think. All right. So what is happening in Iowa? What's happening in Iowa is, you know, Democrats have lanes just like Republicans do with evangelicals and libertarians and the Bush wing. Well, there's wings in the Democratic and, or, you know, Ted Cruz used to call them lanes. There's there's lanes in the Democratic Party as well. And the problem they're having is no one is able to break out of their native lane to consolidate support. And so what we have now is you have Pete Buttigieg. He is the candidate of the uh, white suburbanites who desperately want a virtue signal to the leftists who hate them. Who, who you know drive a Subaru, live in a cul-de-sac with a coexist bumper sticker, and they love Pete Buttigieg because they're anxious to show you they're not a homophobe. They've not looked at his. They've not looked at his qualifications. That's his only qualification to them. And then you have the the college campus feminist hard left crowd loves Elizabeth Warren. And then you have you know your old school Democratic you know traditional labor socially moderate uh, by today's standards anyway Democratic Party. That likes Joe Biden. And these and you've got these candidates now and Bernie Sanders is in there. He's got his own base, you know, that he's sort of the Ron Paul of the Democratic Party. He has his own insurgency base and he's eating into some of Elizabeth Warren's a little bit as well. But these four right now, it is very fluid. Um, impeachment has, has, has chloroformed the room. It's like if you open the door, you would realize it's a zero it's a zero oxygen room. I couldn't breathe in here. It, it, there's it, it's made everything stale. So I would take all polling numbers and everything else, and I would not listen to any of that until about a week from now. I will tell you that, you know, the, the Bloomberg Register Iowa poll has been pretty good over the years. That's Ann Seltzer's group. I think she's actually with CNN now. They actually called me yesterday. So I'm worried about how tight their uh, turnout numbers are if they're calling me Damn. for a Democratic poll. OK, <laughs> but I would I would wait and see what their numbers show. And then I would wait for this last debate before the caucuses. And I could just throw in one more thing, too. This is this is I mean, February 3rd. We don't know what the weather is going to be like. So let's say there's a massive ice storm and rural Iowans can't get to their caucus site. But a bunch of campus feminists can just walk across the quad at Iowa, Iowa State, Grinnell, et cetera. That could make a huge difference where this is concerned. And then, Glenn, something your audience needs to know is the way that the Iowa caucuses are structured in the Democratic side is different than in the Republican side. You know, you're not going to get four or five, six candidates with 2% on the Democratic side. They're going to have a straw poll for relevancy right away. And they get in that room, you know, 10 years ago in the 08 caucuses when it was open on both ends. My caucus site, we shared a, a, a site with the Democrats in the, in, the, in the hall over us. We could not hear ourselves think it was like a labor rally. And so they get into that room and the emotion and the, and the ethos begins and the id starts to flow and, and there's wide swings of opinions and college girls start bringing their, their moms and grandmas and say, don't you want to vote for Elizabeth Warren? Uh, I, I think, you know, that creates a very fluid environment. I do think we know who the top four are going to be. I think, though, knowing the order is tough. And keep in mind, not since 1988 was the last time there was a contested Democratic caucus that the winner of the Iowa caucuses did not win the, the nomination. So anyone who tells you Iowa doesn't matter just doesn't know history or they're just not telling you the truth. So what are the Iowans waiting for? What are they looking for uh, that would be game changing in the next couple of weeks? This is really all about there's one issue that is paramount. Who can defeat Donald Trump? 
The problem is, while that you would think, and we've seen, you've seen this in the Republican Party in the past, well, we, anybody but Obama. But the problem is there's not an agreement on what that looks like. Does a technocrat who, who doesn't address divisive issues and gives you a reassuring persona like a Mitt Romney, does that beat Barack Obama? Does putting Mitt Romney or Barack Obama on a national stage to have a, a worldview clash like a Rick Santorum or a Newt Gingrich, does that do it? And so there's the same arguments happening in the Democratic side. I know it sounds nuts to us, but if you follow their media and their Twitter, they think the reason they're losing to him is they're not nasty enough and they don't lie as much. Um, and, and so there's that there's that debate that is and I know Stu follows that. So I'm sure he can verify that for me. Oh, it's so there's true. that whole debate. And then there's the debate of we need a mainstream American source. All right. And so, you know, there's that that's that's actually what Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg are both running for that. Pete Buttigieg never, ever mentions homosexuality in his ads here. Um, he doesn't come across as any kind of activist, no effeminacy or anything of that nature. He talks about being a soldier, a mayor of a small town in a red state. And so he is he is he is kind of uh, eaten into some of Joe Biden's support with that crowd as well. Do you think that there are the, the couple of narratives that come out of this, at least in the political media is one, the caucus sort of situation you talked about earlier that's raucous and really, you know, has passionate supporters is a big indicator of potential upside for Bernie Sanders in that you get into Mm -hmm. the room where it looks like Warren's finishing third or fourth and those Sanders people are going to bring the Warren people over to Sanders at the last minute and that, you know, with his fundraising numbers, he's doing well in New Hampshire. There's a good poll for him today that, I mean, there is a path here for Bernie Sanders to be the nominee. Do you buy into that? I do. And I didn't a few months ago. His, it, it, I know it sounds uh, morbid, but we started off talking about Joe Biden's competency. So let's just go ahead and, you know, and, and round third while we're at it here. But his candidacy has taken off since his heart attack. He was dead in the water. He was polling single digits in Iowa, single digits nationally. He was behind Elizabeth Warren in New Hampshire. Um, his his heart attack has 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 if you go back and look at where, where his metrics were pre that event, to where they have been since, there's no question that that has been a galvanizing moment. Now, so you have to ask yourself, what the hell is wrong with people? I mean, yeah, a, I a, a heart attack in an old guy, hmm. Ronald Reagan yeah. even. I mean, that is not uh, good news for somebody who's walking into a very high-stress job. No, but I think it. I think for his base, it sort of coalesced them that, hey, we've got a window of opportunity to go full Soviet. We can't lose this. That was number one. And then, and, and, then, and then number two is Elizabeth Warren made the mistake of being honest. Well, as honest as she was willing to be. You know, she was the clear front runner. She was getting challenged. Hey, show your work on your Medicare for All plan. And like the true Wellesley College for Women dean of faculty she's always wanted to be, she thought, you bet, I'll put this all in a white paper and convince you that my one-size-fits-all plan that you hated about Obamacare – supersizing it, you'll like it even more. And and even though it's what a lot of Democrats believe, it was a politically amateurish move. And I think it made a lot of people that thought, hey, maybe she could beat Trump think if she's going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe at the first, if she's going to answer the first booty political booty call here, then she can't lie well enough to do this gig. She's just, she's just too much of a true believer. And I think that has, that crushed her numbers because she had really eaten into a lot of Sanders numbers. She was kind of his softer side of Sears. And when she showed that she could not match up uh, politically with, with what they thought was going to be necessary to win, she's imploded. Bernie has risen. And then you've, and now you've got 
Buttigieg and Biden fighting to be this more mainline candidate. You've got this Amy Klobuchar, who uh, from Minnesota, it's a neighboring state, who's not going to win here. But if you get into that room and Elizabeth Warren or and or Bernie Sanders' support is eaten up by the other, she could maybe surprise and finish in the top three. She would only be taking votes away from Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. So that's why I think this thing is very, very fluid. And I would caution anybody to make any dramatic pronouncements here until we get another week. Okay, with that being said, dramatic pronouncements, I would like you to, <laughs> if it were held today, not not in a couple of weeks, but today, what would you say the landscape is? If it were held today, it's going to be 50 degrees in Iowa today and it's beautiful weather. If it would be held today, we'd break a turnout record. That'd be the highest voted in Iowa caucuses of all time by either party. And then I think it would really just come down to when we get in the room, can Bernie Sanders and or Elizabeth Warren's supporters, you know, whether it's the Soviet id versus the feminist id, what wins out there? And that's, you know, that's that's a little bit like, you know, uh, asking me to forecast an apocalyptic event. I hopefully don't want to be around here for so. I don't know the answer to that, but it would come down to if one of those two in the rooms across Iowa can can absorb the other's support. If they can, one of those two would win. If not, then I think Pete Buttigieg would win. But I don't think it would be an impressive win for anybody right now. I think it's still very fluid. Hmm. Steve, thank you so much. Uh, make sure you follow uh, Steve at Steve uh, uh, Dace Show. You can uh, hear Steve Dace on this network, on the Blaze Radio and TV network, uh, and uh, just join us at Blaze TV. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend, uh, as we get closer to uh, Iowa. All right. Joe Biden? Let me do let me let me give you some unsolicited advice from uh, from an old geezer here. Coming up on twenty years of marriage on uh, Wednesday. So I was um, in in thinking about things. Sometimes I can get away and and think about things that are right not right at the front of my face, but uh, a little far off in the distance. And I was talking to uh, Stu today about how I think you have to start being really careful about buying cars now because I don't think you're good advice right after I got a new one. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You're always timely with this stuff. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I think I said not to buy a house right after you bought the house. Yeah, too. right after that. Yeah, yeah, you said definitely don't. Whatever yeah. you do, don't yeah, do don't that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's uh, <laughs> here's here's a thought. We were talking about cars earlier. Cars are going to get harder for resale because if you look at the 19s compared to the 20s, a lot of these cars that you you used to buy. Uh, at least I used to, you'd buy the 19 in 20 because it was new. They were motivated to sell it, blah, blah, blah. And the body style really didn't change that much. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not the body styles that are changing. It's the electronics that are changing. It's the software that's changing. And really only Tesla is is, uh, upgrading. You know, every time there's new software, they just send it to the car. And so technology is going to, is tracking out i think we're also in a period of time with houses that housing has changed if you go to california and you look at houses houses out west especially 
um, they no longer have the formal dining room and the formal living room, which none of us have used in for how many years? I mean, Thanksgiving is yeah, like the time you own. That's it. it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. Um, the rest of it is just wasted space. Houses are changing, and I think they're changing in the same way that Victorian homes changed. You know, there was an era when everybody wanted that Victorian home, and then that era was over, and, like, nobody for a long time wanted a Victorian home. And I think that's where our homes are because technology is changing and the use of space is changing. And I have to tell you, Stu, I think I'm at the beginning of the road coming to where you have always been, and that is lease. Lease your car, lease your yeah, lease your house. A, I'm a big renting fan. Yeah, um, and which, I'm not. Yeah, I love it. But, uh, of course, now I'm not renting, so now you're telling me it's a good time to rent? No, I'm is not saying... that what's happening I'm, right now? No, I say we're at the beginning of this. I think in 10 years' time, that's going to be the wave of the future, because... Why own something? It's like a phone. You know, people yeah. are leasing iPhones now. You have it for a year and you trade it in for yeah, the next I'm on update. That program, yeah. Right. Uh, everything's changing so fast now that you kind of wonder what what is going to be permanent in 10 years. What does the permanency even look like? Yeah, there's that idea where you pay a lot for quality now and it'll last forever. And it, it seems less and less, less like it's real. Yeah. A personal note, um, I lost a, uh, a friend and a, an idol of mine uh, over the holiday season, uh, Don Imus. Uh, Don, um, the last message I got from Don was August 19th, and it was this. It was just a picture of him, and it, it said... At like the bottom. Could, it could have been taken at the wake. <laughs> no, it, I mean, look how bad it is. I mean, that's he just, would have appreciated oh, this. Yes, yes, he, yes, he would have. Yes, he would have. Uh, and uh, all he wrote was, Glenn Beck, uh, <laughs> Glenn Beck is my leader. <laughs> to which I responded, you still looking this sexy? <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm the going... thing is, he was so brutal in his in his humor that uh, he appreciated it coming back to him. Oh, he yeah. liked yeah, he, it. Well, he, he respected, respected people yeah, he who did. who knew. Uh, you know, it's like Ricky Gervais. I think Ricky Gervais is today's Don Imus. Um, you know, they're jokes. They're jokes. They're right. not. There's nothing more behind them. They're jokes. What's the what's the meanest thing I can say as a joke? And if he meant it, he wouldn't have said it as a joke. He would have said it and said, no, I really mean that. Mm-hmm. This Don had a problem with anyone who was a fraud. Don had a problem with anyone who uh, really didn't know what they believed in and and were cowardly. Uh, and, and, and that meant really even coming after him. I remember the first time I was on his show, his TV show, I was scared out of my mind because you are, you're dealing with, I think the brightest mind on radio. 
He was by far the smartest, most well-read genius Mm -hmm. on on radio. Legend. Legend. Absolute legend. Legend. He is... Talk radio wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Don Imus. And sports talk radio definitely wouldn't exist if it right. wasn't for Don Imus. Uh, sports talk radio wouldn't exist. Uh, Howard Stern probably wouldn't exist. No, he blazed that trail for sure. I mean, Don Imus is in a category of the Hall of Fame that only really is the rarefied air of, of uh, Bob Hope and uh, uh, Jack Benny. I mean, he is he is the pioneer of radio as it's done today. Um, and no matter what anybody says, he was not a racist. He was not a racist. Uh, he and I'm not an apologist for Tom or for Don. If there were or Tom or Tom for that matter. Yeah. Uh, for Bill. If 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 he had racist tendencies uh, I would say something. The, the other thing is, he wasn't right wing either. I was reading a, a column about him. Short lit was pretty glowing. Other than this, uh, and at some section of the article, uh, the person wrote, "Was he a right wing kook? Yes, but I and he then wasn't he, not anything no. like right wing." Why would wing. you put? Why would you put Don Imus? Why would the press put Don Imus onto the the White House press? dinner yeah mm-hmm. during the during the monica Lewinsky trial or shortly thereafter knowing what he was going to say <laughs> that was a terrible because, idea from the start because yeah. they thought he was a friend a game player he was a game player john don was not a game player <laughs> uh <No>. at, <laughs> at any stretch when he looked at bill clinton and made his jokes about you know he'll He'll sleep with any fat chick <laughs> to his face. It was phenomenal. Uh, and he kept going. He mm-hmm. just kept going. Crossing swords with him was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Knowing Don Imus and being able to um, uh, foster a relationship with him. I went back and I listened to some of the old things that we had done together, and I looked at some of the things that we wrote to each other. One of, my, one of the last pictures he showed, he sent to me, uh, he sent a picture of him in the hospital, and he just looked like dog crap. And, uh, <laughs> and it, all it said was, at least I'm not fat like you. <laughs> I mean, he's brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. Just brilliant. And he, <laughs> I said something to him, like in my, I went on the air with him, and I did not know. I knew he was. He was saying, "This guy's crazy. This guy's absolutely out of his mind, crazy." Um, and so, and I went onto his show. I knew. Don respects, I think, Don respects people who are smart and can cross swords with him and hold their own. And I could be just as sarcastic and dark as Don could be any day. And uh, so I decided to really go after him. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember we went into the break and they held me. And they went into a break and he looked at me, and this is how much of a racist he was. (laughs) He looked at me and he smiled and I said, how was that? And he said... That was good. And then he looked down and he said, 
I know you're interested in Native American history. And I said, uh, yes. And he said, there's a book that you'll really appreciate. And he told me about a book. I can't remember what it was. Now I have it in my library. And he said, any thoughts of we were the good guys there? It'll be, it'll all be dispelled when you read this. And I said, oh, okay, I'll read it. And I did. It showed to me how deep of a thinker he was, how much he knew who his guests were, uh, and how not racist he was. And then we got back on the air and hammered each other some more. (laughs) And in my first or second email, I think it was maybe my first, I made the joke about how Deidre, his wife, wanted him to die before he burned through all of the cash. <laughs> and uh, and I felt I sent it. And it was one of it. Was, it oh, wasn't man. that nice. It was really. I do remember this. It was much yeah. meaner than what it you just was, described. Yeah, it yeah. was really mean. And uh, <laughs> I felt so bad. After I sent it, and I thought, what if I didn't put a smiley face? He'd kill you if you put a smiley face. Right. And I can't put a smiley face. Uh, what if he? So I wrote to him before he wrote back, and I said, hey, Don, just I just want you to know I was joking in the last. He wrote back, and he said, you and I will not be friends if you ever write something like that to me again. <laughs> if you don't think yeah. I can take a joke and know what a joke is from you, we're not going to be friends. Yeah, it was and the so, only thing that you ever did that pissed him yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, because he knew what a joke was. Right. And Ricky Gervais knows what... Do you know how many times he said at the beginning of his, his oh, uh, Golden he, Globes? It's yeah. just a joke. Mm-hmm. He it's set just it all up at the very beginning. Yeah. And took himself down first right. before he took anybody else down. Right. And he's like, I don't care. I just don't care. And that mm-hmm. was Don Imus. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you something. The, the rest of the story. You've probably heard me tell the story before uh, that I was sitting in Roger Ailes' office and Roger said to me, and I don't know if I revealed that it was Roger Ailes that said this on the air, um, but uh, Roger Ailes said to me, you know what your problem is? You won't play the game. And I said, mm, no, no, I, no, I won't. And uh, he said, that's the problem. Look, do you not think I knew what Al Sharpton wanted now, what, what he was talking about was Don Imus. He said, do you not think that, that Al Sharpton called me before he sent a busload of people over here to picket against Don Imus? Did, he, did you not think that we had already negotiated what was, how this was going to end? He just needed a pound of flesh. He wanted Don's pound of flesh, so I gave it to him. And someday I'll get a pound of flesh from him. That's the way it works. I knew that. NBC knew that. We all know that. But Don wasn't a game player either. And Don refused to play the game. That should be a badge of honor. That should be, that should be in his obituary. That's what people should be talking about. Not the lie that he was a racist. He wasn't. That was something that was perpetrated on him to destroy him because he wouldn't play the game. As soon as everything became about politics and have to be about choosing sides, Don didn't choose sides. John, Don, first of all, always chose funny. 
don't cut funny. There isn't anyone in within the sound of my voice. Uh, maybe perhaps two comedians that refuse to cut funny. That used to be the deal. We all knew it was a joke. Get over it. Even Ricky Gervais said last night, uh, going into the Golden Globes, he said, yeah, well, I've turned everything over to the attorneys because I don't want to be sued for anything. So he had to run everything through the NBC attorneys so nobody in the room would sue him. It's a joke. I was surprised at how hard. I knew it would be a hard day, and I'm glad I wasn't on the air for a couple of days after I heard about Don. Because I wouldn't have been able to keep my composure. <clears throat> I lost a friend. I lost a childhood idol and hero. And this industry lost one of the greatest minds to ever be on public airwaves. I've never done this before. But when I found out... <clears throat> from an email from Pat. I couldn't really even speak to my own family for a while. And so I went out in the dark and in the cold and lowered my flag. Because I think America also lost somebody who no matter how he voted or what he believed was the best politician he was a an american an american original and american that always stood and said the truth no matter the cost Thanks, Pat. And what's Doris Kearns Goodwin going to do now? I mean, where does she <laughs> go? Be... Where is she? Where's Kiki Friedman now? I don't know. And yeah. it, it sucks that he's dead, but at least he's not fat like you. <laughs> so, <laughs> got that going. He would have hated everything I just said. <laughs> oh, gosh. He would have hated everything I just said. Mm -hmm. He would have loved it if I, I roasted him. Uh, and uh, maybe someday, Don. No, don't give him what he wants. Don't give him what he wants. <laughs> He's not going to win. No. <laughs> Damn him. Uh, all right. By the way, I wrote to uh, Deirdre. And um, 
I would ask you that you would keep his family in prayers for this reason, and hopefully it's all over now. But I can't imagine being married to a man like that in multiple ways. <laughs> um, but um, knowing who he really was and and then seeing how he was remembered by the press after a lifetime of goodness and a lifetime of laughs and a life. I mean, he had his problems and he admitted all of those mm. problems. But uh, to be remembered the way the press tried to paint him uh, had to be hard. And I would just ask you would keep uh, his family in, in their prayers, even though her diet in the end is what killed him. But at least she has the cash. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the U.S. It had U to end that way, didn't it? It had mm -hmm. to. Today, we're going to tell you the truth about everything you need to know about the guy we killed in Baghdad and what's coming with Iran. And it's definitely has it definitely has nothing to do with a draft. We'll explain tonight, five o'clock on Blaze TV.